Hello and welcome to the week six Megapod for the lines.com. Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy here to break down every single one of the games on the slate. Hopefully for me, a better week than last week. I got destroyed. This is a transparent <laughs> show. Listen, if we're going to do some victory laps when we have good weeks, I'm going to let you know when we have bad weeks. Horrible, horrible, horrible week for me last week. Thank God Cincinnati did get the cover to kind of ease the burden just a little bit, but it was a rough one for me. What about you, Steven? Yeah, about 500 overall, but the teaser on the Packers, like it's never fun when there's a London game and you're like way behind before like noon Eastern time. That really stunk. But uh, yeah, I not a great week. Uh, the teasers have been awful for me this year yeah. after I had an amazing teaser year last year, but, uh, Hey, in the beat the lines contest, I'm in third place and a point behind hitting like almost 70%. So maybe I should just not bet teasers anymore. Like I swore off props. <laughs> you should, Hey, listen, maybe you should, should be in the, if you were in one of the contests right now, you would be rocking and rolling Adam uh, week as a whole for you. Not bad and largely because of props. Uh, frankly, my, my, my props year has been fairly solid thus far. Uh, overall, though, I was looking at my teaser legs because I was curious since we have a few of those going again this week. And, you know, we'll talk more about this as we go on, but definitely my tease ups looking better than my tease downs. And I think that goes to speak mm-hmm. to what the relative strength of the middle of the pack and the lower part of the NFL is this year. My worst single NFL week in seven years was this past week. Um, so, and and the reason I bring that up is, is because one of the things that you said right there, Adam, too, is just a, a quick thing that we'll harp on, you know, a few different times a year. You got to be keeping records. You've got to be keeping a spreadsheet. You got to know what you're good at. You got to know what you're bad at. You got to know what you should spend more time working on if you really want to get better at you know that sport or that aspect of that sport you got to know what just what to spend less time at and spend less dollars doing as well and so uh stuff that has certainly helped me over the years and as adam just mentioned he's certainly noticed a little bit of a trend from his betting from the from the teaser side of things for me um this year teasers have been absolutely horrible as well so i don't know if it's uh you know i don't know if it's just a change in the way that the nfl's played so far this season we know it's been a pretty big shift from a total standpoint, from an underdog standpoint, different things like that. So maybe we will identify something we can pass along to you guys here in the next couple of weeks as well. We've but, seen it in Survivor, mm-hmm. right? Big favorites going down, and that's going to correlate to teasers not doing well if you have favorites teasing down that are just losing outright. So let's kick things off here. San Francisco 49ers at the Atlanta Falcons. As we sit right now, five, five and a half in favor of the 49ers on the road at the Falcons. We know the 49ers did stay out east, as they always do. At the Greenbrier is where the 49ers were. They were at the Greenbrier over there for the week. <laughs> 44 and a half is your total in this one. Um, trending towards Nick Bosa not playing for the 49ers this week. And so that's not great news. That being said, this Falcons team, I think in all of our power ratings, find themselves in the bottom five, bottom six, something like that. And 49ers probably find themselves inside the top five or six. So a massive difference there. When it all comes down to it, Stephen, what are we looking at here from your end? It is your 49ers squad. 
It is, and I'm betting against them this week. Okay, or not? I have I have a bet on the Falcons at plus five and a half, and it really is because the 49ers injury report is starting to pile up again, mm-hmm. and we've seen this throughout the entire Kyle Shanahan era. He has been top ten of most injured rosters all five years of the regime. Can't wait to talk to Will Carroll about this on Friday on the Lions Injury Podcast to see if he has any insight as to why this keeps happening for San Francisco. But this week in particular, you mentioned Nick Bosa. It's the it's the entire defensive line, the entire starting defensive line. Eric Armstead, Javon Kinlaw all did not practice back-to-back days Wednesday and Thursday. Ebu Cam did come back from a DMP on Wednesday to be limited, but it's an Achilles, and they're going to be careful when it comes to an Achilles. And even if he's out there, who knows if he's 100%. So the entire front unit that has been dominant at getting pressure without blitzing is compromised for this game. On top of that, safety Jimmy Ward is out. Emmanuel Mosley is out for the year. And when he was not available last year for the 49ers, their pass defense was very susceptible. It became a wink, a weak link in the defense that passing offenses and good receivers were able to take advantage mm-hmm. of. Their backup corner, Diamador Lenore, 93rd out of 104 in coverage grade among corners, 101 passer rating allowed when targeted. And their backup DB, Tarvarius Moore, is also limited with a hamstring. So more than half of the starting defense, some of their depth is compromised in this game. And the Falcons offensive line, despite the quarterback play being below average, is number three in pass block win rate, believe it or not. And Kyle Pitts is back to full practice as well. I think going on the road across the country for a second straight week. uh, I know they stayed at the Greenbrier lived themselves up, had a nice little practice in the Eastern time zone. But I thought five and a half here on the road was too much considering all of the injury concerns on defense. Adam, uh, you know, look, we saw what we thought was going to be a completely decimated Bills defense, but they are so well coached and so well schemed that the injuries, I'm not going to say didn't matter, but certainly did not affect near as much as I think a lot of us thought it would with this Bills squad. Do you think that that could be the case for the 49ers? They're just so well coached and they can be schemed up so well that against a Falcons team that again is is they're fine, but there's certainly nothing that we're that we're, you know, thinking is going to be world beaters this year or anything. Do you think it could be enough to get it done here? I see the point that you're coming up with, Matt, and I understand because the injuries are similar in Buffalo to where they are in San Francisco, right? Where you have injuries at every level of the defense. What I think Steven's pointing to with that pass rush not being able to get home with four would really worry me, though, because Buffalo Mm. was still able to do that with Von Miller playing at old Von Miller levels here. So my play in this game actually has nothing to do with side. I love the total that I got. I looked at it early in the week. It was at 42. Uh, I'm seeing mostly 44 and a half now. I played over 42 early in the week. The respect for the San Francisco defense is understandable. That being said, last week I told you guys I liked over in San Francisco, Carolina, and it didn't take much from Carolina's side to Mm -hmm. get there. So if you're worried about the Atlanta offense, I'm going to point to the other side of what they're doing. As Steven mentioned, the pass block win rate. And I think there's a tendency to look at that rushing offense and say, well, they don't have Cordero Patterson. And Cordero Patterson was great before getting hurt. Six yards per carry. But if you look at Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier, they're averaging roughly five yards carry per piece. If you look at yards after contact, their numbers are identical to Cordero Patterson. It goes to say that something in this offense, even though it's not necessarily the offensive line, something in the scheme is working for them. 
Uh, I took him last week plus 10 and a half. It was not the not the uh, friendliest cover that I've ever had. That that <laughs> definitely was a game that made me think about getting out uh, at multiple points. But ultimately, I think this Atlanta offense is going to be able to do its part. And I think we're seeing that the San Francisco offense is beginning to click a little bit with George Kittle having been back for a couple of weeks with Jeff Wilson playing the role of every running back succeeds in the Kyle Shanahan system. Mm-hmm. So over 42 is where I landed. It's over 44 and a half at this point. I don't love the value as much, but I think it's the way you would go if you're planning on playing this. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that if if anything, it'd be a total look for me in this one as well. You do have a you do have two pretty if well, let's put it this way. Falcons have been an efficient offense. These the 49ers you think are gonna get better. I mean, it's the full on now Jimmy G has basically had his air quote preseason, you know, like so he's had the games to kind of get worked into the offense. And as you mentioned, Kittle coming off the groin injury should work into the offense a little bit better. And then if we believe that these at, at, at least somewhat we believe that these injuries are going to affect this defense, then that should allow Atlanta to put points on the board as well. And we know Atlanta's defense, 27th DVOA, 20th according to pro football focus, and their pressure rate, Jimmy G, we know, not the greatest under pressure. They're dead last in the NFL in pressure rate, so he shouldn't have to worry about that much either. So, uh, yes, I think that the total is the look as well. I do like that angle in this one, but outside of that, going to be – uh, all I get in on that one. So let's take a look here at New England Patriots and the Cleveland Browns. Right now, we have the Browns as two and a half point home favorites over the Patriots, a total of 43, 43 and a half. Adam, we take a look at this one. We know we're going to get another week of Bailey Zappi. They can sit there and dangle the carrot of Mac Jones getting out to practice and stuff. It's not going to not going to do it, dude. The high ankle sprain is a four week injury. We know that it's been a four week injury for basically as long as you and any of us have been following the NFL. And so it's it's going to be Zappi. And so it's the Patriots catching two and a half points on the road against the Browns and um, look the total I think seems fairly appropriate at 43 we know pretty much exactly what both of these teams want to do to each other which is just run the ball down each other's throats you would say well then isn't the total too high but not if you run the ball very very efficiently it doesn't really matter right I mean like the total can get over even if you you know if you're running the ball at seven eight yards a clip which maybe these teams are going to do considering what we've got going on here so what do you uh, what do you think about this one? This again is a total game for me, Matt. I uh, mm-hmm. played it early in the week at 42 over uh, 43 again. You know, we're, we're into some key numbers here uh, with the lower totals in the NFL. And since Matt and I are both talking about totals here in the first couple of games, I'll point out the fact that there are 13 games this week. 11 of them land between 41 and 45 and a half you only have two games that are up in the 50s and that's why even though I was playing some unders early in the year I have a pair of overs here let me give you a number on the Cleveland offense that I found stunning and I'll give proper credit uh, to PFF for this one the Cleveland offense in terms of rush EPA it's rush EPA is better than the pass EPA of 26 NFL teams That's how efficient they've been in terms of running the football. The problem for Cleveland has been that other teams are just as efficient running the ball against them. (laughs) They are 30th against in rush DVOA. And so this Cleveland team has just not been able to do the job on the defensive side of the ball thus far this year. It's why I like looking at the over because look at what New England has done 
regularly here, right? You know they want to run the ball, but look at their last few games. They went against a bad rush defense in Green Bay, and they nearly won that game. Then they come back, and they're able to run the ball against Detroit, and they wrecked Detroit. And then you look at Cleveland, and I think you're in a similar situation to what you saw last week where Austin Eckler and company ran all over them uh, in a game with the Chargers. And, of course, they were able to run the ball themselves. So uh, I'm on the over. If I were to play a side, I'd be on Cleveland here, uh, but I'm not going to get involved in side and total in the same game. I'm going to stick with the early investment that I have in the over. Yeah, Stephen, if we take a look here, we're looking at a couple of rush defenses that grayed out depending on which advanced metric you want to look at, but definitely in the bottom third of the league, if not the bottom 10% of the league. And it is, you know, a credibly effective rush offense for both of these teams as well. I mean, I know a lot of people tend to think if there is two teams that all they want to do is run the ball, there's no way you can play an over. But again, if you're getting five, six yards a clip, it doesn't really matter. You're being super efficient in moving the ball. Uh, that also being said, what it doesn't do is allow for much of a blowout potential, right? Because if there's not going to be a ton of explosive plays and there's not going to be a ton of the, the ball's not going to be in the air a ton for there to be picks or strip sacks or any of the things like that, that where we see where the turnovers come most often, then it can also lead to games playing a little bit closer, which is how you are going about this one. For sure. It sets up for a nice teaser leg, in my opinion. Low total, teasing the Patriots up through the three, through the seven. So got them at uh, eight and a half as we sit here now on Friday morning, East Coast time. And um, I think it's your quintessential teaser leg. I love the matchup there. We talk about how good Nick Chubb has been this year. Well, in terms of yards after contact per rush, Ramondre Stevenson is just as good as Nick Chubb. 4.24 yards after contact per rush, Nick Chubb 4.23. Ramondre Stevenson, to me, is an emerging star among the running backs in the National Football League. I think he's that good. Um, and I think this is the perfect matchup against a bottom-of-the-barrel rush defense, so sets up nicely there. And God help me, get the clown mask ready. I said I would not bet any more props for the rest of the season, <laughs> and I bet a prop. I got plus money on Ramondre Stevenson to score a touchdown in this game. I'm not sure why it was plus money. I guess they were still on the fence of whether or not Damian Harris would play, but I'd be shocked if he plays with this hamstring injury. So to see plus money on a Stevenson touchdown in this matchup was, was very surprising to me. So I took it. Yeah. I mean, look, this was, this was a rare instance where Belichick, once Harris went down, Stevenson became the every down back, right? So there was, uh, as far as snap percentage played for Mondre Stevenson in week five, he ended up playing 90% of the snaps, which is, you know, kind of unheard of in a Belichick offense. And so he didn't go to the third string guy and split the carries. He apparently he feels comfortable splitting them between Stevenson and Harris, but not between Stevenson and whoever else is next up on the line. Pierre Strong, I think, or JJ Taylor or something like that, whoever it might yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, they've lost everybody else. James White yeah. retired. Ty Montgomery went on IR. So it's almost by necessity that he's just making Stevenson the bell cow is certainly not what he likes to do typically, but it's almost mm -hmm. by necessity at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, look, will one of those guys siphon off a few carries in this game? Probably, but I still imagine Stevenson's going to be in that 80 to 85% snap count range. And if that's the case, then I think that you're, uh, I think that your look here 
is pretty good. It's funny because uh, I don't have a play on this one, but I I lean the both the way both of you lean. If I was playing this straight up, I would play Cleveland. If I was playing a teaser, I would play New England. I think this game sets up perfectly for that. I mean, again, when you run the ball as much as these teams do, uh, you can be highly efficient while also not being able to blow the other team out just because of the nature of the way that you're playing. If we look at as far as percentage of plays that New England passes, they are 26th in the NFL towards the bottom. You know who's below them? The Cleveland Browns, 28th in the NFL as far as percentage of pass plays for them. So it is, uh, it's kind of set up pretty cut and dry, at least in, in my opinion. Uh, offenses should be able to move the ball, should be a fairly close game. And uh, with that, we will see, I think, both of y'all's kind of sides or leans here in the same, uh, in the same game getting home. All right, so let's talk a fairly interesting game here, in my personal opinion, in the Jets and the Packers, because this thing is sitting seven and a half in favor of the Packers. 45 is the total. I think we are starting to see two two teams trending in opposite directions, Stephen. I think we are looking at a Jets team that seems to be getting at least a little bit better. And if anything, I think you would say the Packers are neutral, certainly not on the upswing. And if anything, maybe on the downswing, I've seen nothing from this team to give me hope that they're going to immediately turn it around. And so this one, I just kept looking at long and hard and have not been able to pull the trigger and get it in the account yet. But man, does getting the hook with the Jets look enticing. Talk me off of it. No, I bet it. I'm on Jets plus seven and a half. Our lead writer, Eli Hershkovich, bet it as well. You can read his reasons why on the site. I think we have to give credit to Zach Wilson where it's due here. We last week said we're going to make him beat us. We're going to um, make him prove it first. And I was curious mm-hmm. to dig into the numbers. I know he was facing a third string quarterback, but he was facing not the quarterback. He's facing the Dolphins defense that was also banged up. But this was better Zach Wilson than what we saw for the majority of his rookie season. He was above average in EPA and success rate metrics among all quarterbacks last week. Uh, He was above average in completion percentage over expectation. So I think we need to at least consider the fact that this is a quarterback going into his second year that had his preseason cut off that didn't get to play for the first month of the season. And now is finally getting full practices again. And he's got a bevy of weapons around him. And the Jets offense in this game against the Packers should control the line of scrimmage. They are 12th in run block win rate. Green Bay is 22nd in run stop win rate. PFF and football outsiders has the Green Bay defense bottom five against the run. This is a bottom five and rush EPA defense and dead last and rush success rate allowed. We've seen multiple times this year, the Packers defense not be able to stop the run against the likes of David Montgomery and Saquon Barkley. So I think Brees Hall is in for a, a pretty good spot here with a good offensive line against a struggling rush D. And then Zach Wilson can just frankly, simply distribute the ball to a core of wide receivers that I think are pretty good. Garrett Wilson's already a, a top 22 wide receiver by PFF grade a few games into his rookie season. Arrows pointing up for him. Corey Davis has proven that he can make big plays in this league still. And then Elijah Moore hasn't even gotten going, and and the reputation on him is an elite route runner, but they just haven't utilized him as much. Uh, so I think this is an interesting spot for the dog. It wouldn't shock me, honestly, if the Jets win this game outright. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers being 17th in dropback EPA 
Like Eli dug into the numbers. Like he he's never been this low in drop back EPA. Like even when he's had other struggling years by his standards, he's never been this low in drop back EPA. So I think the offensive line for the Packers being below average and blocking win rate is affecting him. I think he's obviously missing Devonte Adams. And then you have a jets defense. That's the fourth highest pressure rate at the fourth lowest blitz rate. Like, Robert Sala has got himself a little mini Niners defense going here with the Jets uh, through the first month or so of the season. So uh, if you look at the numbers, I'm not sure why the Packers are seven and a half here. Yeah, uh, Adam, I look at this one and I mean, it, one of the things that was interesting to me is Zach, since they got Zach Wilson back, the Jets offensive EPA has been better than the Packers EPA through the first five weeks with Aaron Rodgers. Like, I mean, this offense has actually been better from an expected points added aspect than it has than the Packers have with Aaron Rodgers. And then I think one of the deals that is kind of at least being a little bit overlooked when I've heard people talk about this game is just the fact that, look, we thought this Green Bay defense, we thought the offense might struggle just a little bit as he works in to like try to get, you know, familiar with these rookies and stuff. Christian Watkins, by the way, still can't like get out at practice. So they're not going to get any chemistry because he can't practice in full. So your de facto number one becomes Randall Cobb at 37 years old or whatever it is. And so if you're throwing to dust, I mean, it's going to be tough to move the ball fairly often, but I think we thought that was at least a possibility. What we didn't think was a possibility was this defense being as average or below average as it has been through the first five weeks of the season. And I don't see a whole lot of things here that lead lead me to believe that this is an aberration or that this is going to turn around. I mean, when you really dig in, it's like they're just not doing a lot of stuff very well, specifically on early downs, allowing teams to move the ball on early downs and get in second and third and short. And like that is very tough at that point for a defense to have a lot of success. And so I kind of look at this and wonder if the market is kind of just still valuing Aaron Rodgers as Aaron Rodgers, you know, the, the God of in football or whatever. And looking at Zach Wilson is still this kind of like scrub. Whereas maybe there should be an adjustment, both directions. First of all, Dust would like a word with you. Uh, cur- currently, <laughs> Dust is 12th in PFF yards per route run. Dust has an 85 PFF grade. Um, now, Dust would also probably be matched up with Sauce Gardner pretty regularly this week. So I'm not sure that Randall Cobb is a guy that I want to base my evaluation on. But to your point, Matt, how are we going to evaluate Zach Wilson? Well, Zach Wilson by PFF grade is 11th since coming back which is, I guess, a lot better than we would have expected from a guy who was Mm -hmm. bottom five all of last year. That being said, getting to betting the Jets seven and a half on the road requires me to trust that. I don't trust that. I I don't. And I I can't get to the point of placing the wager. Now, my theme this week is going to have a lot to do with just because your numbers say it doesn't mean you have to do it. Uh, My numbers would say... Bet Green Bay. I'm not betting Green Bay, to, just to make clear. This is not a matter of confidence in Green Bay. My my evaluation of this comes down to I trust the fact that the market is saying they're leaning toward the Jets. I trust everything you guys are talking about here right now. So this game is a pass for me. 
And can I, Max, just, can I ask Adam yeah. a quick question real quick just yeah. on that? Because I think this is interesting for novice bettors as well. Adam, you mentioned your numbers. How did you deal with the Jets considering that Flacco was the quarterback f- for the first few games and now you have Wilson? How did you deal with that situation? So I didn't actually change it a lot because they let Flacco throw the ball quite a bit. And frankly, allowing Flacco to throw the ball wasn't the worst for them. Uh, in terms of how they performed early in the year. Now, yes, there is a difference between those two quarterbacks in terms of power rating. And if you want to talk about dealing with that situation directly, but for me, it's not more than a point between Joe Flacco and Zach Wilson, at least until Zach Wilson puts a little bit more in front of us in terms of what he's able to do. So I actually didn't change my handicap on the Jets that much with Zach Wilson coming back. If you take a look, guys, the... It's actually fairly shocking. Like, out of a clean pocket, Zach Wilson has been elite. Like, like elite, elite. And so, it, uh, it, we know that Green Bay, for all their defensive deficiencies, they blitz a, a, blitz a ton, right? So, I mean, it, are those blitzes going to get home and disrupt, you know, the, the pocket for Wilson? Because if that's the case, he does drop off pretty significantly when, when pressured, right? And so, I think that really is going to be the key here. For Green Bay, if they can pressure Wilson, then I think, you know, they probably can scrap out a win here. If they don't get pressure on him, I think he's going to be able to move the ball in this defense. who has been really, really vulnerable so far this year. And one last little thing is we've talked about teasers and how teasers have kind of bit us this year. You know, look, this falls in that, hey, home team down to one and a half thing. Never even considered it this week. I mean, literally never even considered it this week because of all the, you know, touchdown favorites we've had over the last, you know, few weeks or whatever. I I feel like Green Bay is kind of ripe to get picked off here. And so uh, didn't ever consider a seven and a half down to one and a half. I don't know about you guys. No, never even. I I saw it. It fit the mold. Didn't even think about it. I Green Bay is a work in progress still. Like we can talk about priors all we want with Aaron Rodgers, et cetera. They're a work in progress still. They got to show it. If they could lose to Saquon Barkley and the Giants and they could have trouble with Bailey Zappi and the Patriots, they can absolutely have trouble with this Jets team as currently constructed. Adam, did it even like, did it even like get kind of any second thought from you this week? Because I know a lot of people are going to look at that and say, wait, 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 I can get the Packers down to a point and a half against the Jets. It didn't. And I know yeah. you guys were both on Green Bay in London in the teaser situation last week against the Giants. And I didn't join you in that because I didn't. Think yeah, that, smart man. Well, uh, you're going to find out later when we talk about another team that you guys like that. I'm not that smart. But uh, yeah, I just decided that I did not trust the efficiency of Green Bay's offense, especially while they continue to deal with offensive line injuries. It's amazing to me that David Bakhtiari can't get on the field healthy. And Elton Jenkins is also questionable this weekend. Yeah, so for me, uh, again, it's it's a, it's a Jets or pass, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but it is going to be a Jets or pass for me. Certainly going to be Jets in the contest for me. I do know that. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are two-point home favorites over the Jags, a total of 42. Now, Adam, what do we? one of the things we know about this one is that uh, Jonathan Taylor did return to practice for the Colts. So it everything trending in the right direction for him to be back out there for them. This is an interesting handicap for me because I do wonder how much psychology is going into the number in this because I think everybody from a power rating standpoint last week had the Jags higher than the Colts. The 
Jags burn everybody last week. They knock everybody out of Survivor. They lose all your teaser legs. They lose your money line parlays. Like every single way you had the Jags. And here we find them as two-point dogs to a Colts team that literally had to kick four field goals. It was one of the worst games, obviously, we've all ever seen. We don't have to relive that. So I don't know. I I had this. I thought the Jags would be a one-point favorite, and now, it, but they're two-point underdogs in this. So I am. Uh, I have a pretty decent lean towards the Jags because I'm not going to completely wipe them off. You know everything that I've seen so far this season because of one bad game. But what say you? Yeah. Matt, I love the fact that you're talking about the recency bias of a team that just hurt you, right, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I did not join in on that last week because I, Trevor Lawrence needs to show me a little bit more consistently before I'm going to get behind him as a seven-point home favorite against anyone. Now, again, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a better team than last year. How bad is Indianapolis? That's really the question here. The quarterback of Indianapolis... And we talked about this in the offseason. Well, we're just going to keep replacing one veteran quarterback with another, right? We're just going to keep throwing in another Philip Rivers type at the helm of Indianapolis, Carson Wentz, et cetera, et cetera. No, the quarterback of Indianapolis has taken a significant downgrade this year with Matt Ryan. He leads the National Football League in turnover worthy plays with 12. He leads the National Football League in the worst way in big time throws with only one, one against 12 is a horrendous ratio for having any sort of pass offense. And that's how bad it's been trying to throw the ball for Indianapolis. So with no further ado, I have Jacksonville plus eight and a half in a teaser because I am perfectly willing to say that this Jacksonville team is not one score worse than Indianapolis. And it wasn't all that long ago. If we're going to talk about recency bias that the Jags blew Indy off the field in Jacksonville. Mm. I also have the Jags up at plus eight in a teaser leg with a leg we'll talk about here a little bit later in the show. Steven, here's the thing. If you are nothing but a scoreboard looker, you saw that the Jags lost last week. If you watched the game or dug in, they absolutely dominated the Texans. They had over 200 yards more offense than they did. It came down to two plays. And, and listen, they were two horrific plays. You like to think that they don't show up again this week. The Trevor Lawrence interception when they got down into the red zone, from the seven-yard line was one of the worst passes you'll ever see from a quarterback at the NFL level ever. I have no idea what he was doing. I have no idea what he was trying to do. Absolutely terrible. Trayvon Walker jumps offside, so gets one penalty as it was anyway, and then decides right in front of the referee to take the quarterback and sling him down hard to the ground, which turned a third and 20, yes, a third and 20 into a first and 10 and completely, and completely iced the game at that point for the Texans. So again, it's like, yes, they lost on the scoreboard, but when you really kind of break the game down, the Jags, you know, they, they dominated the game. And so I am, I'm not ready to jump off the train quite yet. And certainly not ready to jump off the train against this Colt squad that has shown me quite literally nothing through the first five weeks of the season. Me neither. I'm not jumping off the Jags in this matchup. I'm jumping off the Colts and I will continue to jump off the Colts because functionally they cannot execute with this offensive line. It is a huge trenches mismatch. Adam, you talked about the quarterback, Matt Ryan. He's made some bad decisions. At least some of that is because he's got like no time, like no time whatsoever. The indie offensive line is 
awful to begin with. Now their center, Ryan Kelly, has a hip injury. Not sure if he's going to play or how effective he can be. With an offensive line that was already 31st in pass block win rate, 28th in run block win rate, you could put Walter frickin' Payton behind that offensive line. He's not going to run all that effectively. I don't care if Jonathan Taylor's back there. And the Jags' front seven is pretty darn good. Second in pass rush win rate, sixth in run stop win rate. Yes, the Colts didn't have Michael Pittman and they didn't have Alex Pierce in the first matchup here. And that's significant. And I think that's part of the reason why you see them holding here as a small favorite at home. But I'm not sure Matt Ryan's going to have any time to operate here. So as long as Trevor Lawrence can cut down on the mistakes, they should be able to compete again in this one. The Colts defense does rank above average overall in EPA and success rate, but it's thanks to its rushing defense the liability they have on defense is what we all thought coming into the season. They are 27th in dropback success rate. So despite a negative CPOE for Trevor Lawrence, he is 14th and sixth among quarterbacks in EPA and success rate. So I, I look at that and I think Doug Peterson's working his magic, right? This to me feels like a similar situation with Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, where he's putting him in a situation and scheming up open receivers and making it, you know, as, as our senior writer, Mona Wara describes it easy mode when you're playing Madden, just hit the button, deliver it to your first read and get some yardage. So um, I think mismatch in the trenches here for the Colts offense is going to be difficult again for them to move the ball. I tease the Jags up as well to plus eight, and I'm also going to include them in a small money line underdog parlay with another team that we're going to talk about a little bit later here. Family game this week, family bet here on the uh, on the pod. So we'll see how that all plays out. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 5 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia, 1-800-270-7117. For confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, and 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Boys, this was the first bet I put in my account, and uh, I'm just kind of wondering what I'm missing here. Minnesota Vikings, Miami Dolphins. So as we said, I'm watching games on a Sunday. I'm taking notes. I'm writing down. Figure out what this line, this opening line is going to be. If it's this or less than this, we're betting it no matter what, whatever. I, you know, I wrote down what is this Vikings-Dolphins line going to be after watching the quarterback situation for the Miami Dolphins, after watching Tyreek Hill kind of get nicked up, all the different stuff that's going on. Of course, the Dolphins defense that we referenced earlier in the podcast, not looking at all like the Dolphins defense that we thought heading into the season. And this thing hit at three. I rushed to put it in the account. There was only one book in Vegas that even posted it. And it's only moved to three and a half at a couple of the books out there. Now it is shade. The threes that are out there are, are shaded towards the three and a half. And so we might end up there when it's all said and done 45 and a half or 46 is the total. Steven, when I, I, I thought for sure 
Whenever we found out Skylar Thompson was going to start, that this would blast through the four, I thought four and a half was going to end up being the number. I am incredibly wrong, apparently. Uh, what am I missing here? I'm confused, and I'm wondering if like the market is confused with what's going on with this new concussion protocol situation with the Dolphins because we were told that Teddy Bridgewater did not, in fact, have a concussion despite being pulled from the game. Nevertheless, he's still in the concussion protocol this week and limited, but could still clear the protocol. But Mike McDaniel only has Skylar Thompson to take quarterback snaps in practice. So is there a chance Teddy Bridgewater could still start at quarterback, even though he's in the concussion protocol without a con- it's It's like it's mind. But I have no idea what to think of this situation. I'm curious if the rest of the market kind of sees that as well, because if, if Skylar Thompson's the quarterback, I don't know why this should be three. It doesn't make sense to me. It's it's almost Adam. What do you think? Like I, I feel like this. The market is still not a hundred percent convinced that Teddy Bridgewater is not starting this game. I think it's the other side, actually, guys. I, I don't know that this market is as convinced on Minnesota this year as it was last year. And hmm. ultimately, I'm with you, uh, Matt. You texted me about this when that line was still up, and and I got involved as well uh, with Minnesota at three, but. This Minnesota team has had a penchant for making games closer than they should be. And so to trust them on the road as a three-point favorite, I can understand why there's at least some hesitation in the market. I do get a little bit worried when I see just how many tickets are on Minnesota, just how much of the cash is on Minnesota, and the fact that this hasn't moved uh, more than it has because it might indicate that the books have some respected money on Miami. And again, Miami has been a team that the wise guys have liked throughout. But again, is it the same Miami? You have Teron Armstead questionable. You have Xavier Howard questionable. You have Raheem Mostert questionable, which actually is a move in the right direction. So, you know, when we look at this Miami team, I'm with you guys in saying, I don't know what's left. And when you saw Skylar Thompson uh, out there for Miami, you didn't see the move the ball. When you saw the defense giving up three touchdowns to the Jets in the fourth quarter, you realize, oh, God, uh, this could get bad. Yeah, I, I guys, I just don't look. I don't get it. I understand. Uh, like Minnesota's going to win ugly. Like that's just the way that this team is going to be. But here's the difference between this year and last year: they're winning these games, right? Like that's the difference. Like if you want to know what the O'Connell difference maybe is for this team, is when these games were getting close last year, they were losing these games. Now these games are getting close, and they're winning these games. They're on the right side of this that is going on and look like I told I said this on the on the pod last week and I went ahead and did it so I I sprinkled a little Viking Super Bowl at 25 to 1 in my account because if you take a look fellas if they get through Miami this week they go on by to get healthy then come back out against Arizona and Washington we could be looking at a week 10 matchup against Buffalo with a 7 and 1 Vikings team right I mean this team after the Buffalo game You get Dallas, New England, the Jets, the Lions, the Colts, the Giants, and that is through week 16. Then you get Green Bay in 17, and then the Bears in 18. It is not out of the realm of possibility that we are talking about a 12 and 5 or 13 and 3. Uh, Well, I guess it would be, yeah, 13 and 4 Vikings team here. Like this, this team could be in the mix for the one seed in the NFC. And so I just, listen, the schedule just is so soft moving forward outside of of Buffalo and and Dallas if you want to consider Dallas you know one of those teams that's that's up there so uh, I I made the sprinkle and 
I'm I feel pretty good about it, actually. All right. Uh, if, if you want to get in on side action at over 12 and a half, let me know. Uh, okay all right Uh, well 13 well yeah you tell me well you said it at 12 and a half of course i did because you see that's the highest number you gave me hey listen 11 11 and a half you got the you got yourself a dance partner that's that's for sure but uh it is uh it seems gonna win ugly i think they win this one probably win it ugly but it's uh i don't know shocker to me a seventh round rookie didn't really affect the line other than a half a point is what it's kind of looking like to your to your point matt i think there's maybe some you know credit to you guys for not having recency bias i wonder if there is a little fatigue with the vikings because they've won three straight games but they haven't covered the closing number in any of those uh so maybe some people getting burned on them and and not wanting to go back to the well on the road as a as a favorite but if just checking in with the vikings offense ninth in epa third and success rate kirk cousins 12th and drop back epa fourth and success rate 17th in rush EPA, fourth in success rate. Very strong offense. They're doing what we expected them to do under Kevin O'Connell, if not being in the elite tier. And with the, I'm with you on them. I, I bet Vikings Super Bowl futures before the start of the season at 40 to one. I see no reason to back off of them with what appears to be a pretty wide open NFC. Um, but I, for me, I just want to make sure that Skylar Thompson is actually the starting quarterback mm-hmm. this week with this weird Teddy Bridgewater situation that is very much unprecedented with the protocols. This is a new situation we haven't seen. Cincinnati Bengals and the New Orleans Saints. This was the second ticket that went into my account. I took the Bengals on the money line at minus 115 when this opened at Cincy 1. It is now sitting Cincy 2. 43.5 to 43.5 is your total. Adam, this one's very easy for me. Who in the hell are the Saints going to throw the ball to? And that is basically the handicap in this game. It looks like they could be without wide receiver one, two, and three in this game. We don't know the Olave situation. And here's the thing. Adam talked, I mean, uh, Stephen talked about it whenever we were talking about just the, the previous game here in the Vikings and Dolphins is with this new concussion protocol, we don't know how easy it's going to be to clear. Like we don't know what they're going to let people do and not do and all the different things like that and, and, and whatnot. We know for sure it looks like Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are not going to be able to go. So certainly two of the top three wide receivers not going to be out there. And now Jameis Winston is practicing in a limited fashion. I think it's an upgrade for my bet if Jameis plays with a broken back. So we'll see how that all plays out as well. But look, Marshawn Lattimore, highly questionable to play in this game. And even if he does, we know corners that are injured typically either get re-injured in the game or just are very, very ineffective. And now the Bengals trot out, you know, the best trio of wide receivers, though T. Higgins is questionable for them. But Tyler Boyd and, and Jamar Chase could certainly get it done. Hayden Hurst had tied in. I think there's just a mismatch here. The Saints don't get any pressure either. For whatever reason, they've not been able to pressure the quarterback so far this season. And that is the real big key here for me outside of the injury report is that we know Joe Burrow and this offensive line has not been able, this offensive line has not gelled yet. They've not figured things out, but fortunately they should get time here because the saints have not figured out how to get pressure on the quarterback so far this year. So anyway, it is a fairly straightforward bet for me. And uh, I, I actually really do like this one. So Matt, this is one of the strangest games, not just this season, but in NFL history, I have been informed that the New Orleans Saints are not required to beat the Cincinnati Bengals this week. 
because the Cincinnati Bengals have declared that they're going to beat themselves once again. Uh, Zach Taylor has decided that he doesn't need to worry about whether Joe Burrow gets pressured. He's just going to keep running the ball. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals are a team I cannot trust. And right now, I look at this game and think to myself, this has the makings of like 14-11 on the board. And I decided that I don't see how Cincinnati is going to beat anybody by more than a score. So the other half of my teaser with Jacksonville is actually New Orleans plus eight and a half. Now, that doesn't say that I think New Orleans is going to A, play great, B, win outright. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says that I don't trust Cincinnati to run the score up on anyone right now. We like to talk about the advanced numbers a lot on our podcast. Right now, early down EPA for Cincinnati, 31st in the league. We don't have to get too complicated, though. We can use basic metrics like yards per play, 31st in the league, yards per rush, 30th in the league. And if you heard Joe Burrow talk after the loss to Baltimore, he said, we're not getting the looks to get the big plays anymore, right? And how did mm-hmm. they win last year? They won with explosive plays. They won being able to throw yep. the ball up to Jamar Chase when they really needed to. So it seems to me that Cincinnati, at least mentally, is in a little bit of the space that Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City were last year where they're having to adjust to the fact that they can't go over the top. The problem is they're adjusting with Zach Taylor as opposed to adjusting with Andy Reid. Zach Taylor is fortunate that mm-hmm. this team got its way to the Super Bowl because what we've seen from him is basically a resume that would get a lot of coaches fired. He just has too much talent around him and too much variance. It's gone his way for it to happen. I have New Orleans plus eight and a half in the tees. Yeah, I, I I fully agree with you. I mean, listen, the the thing that really just kind of changed it for me, Stephen, is just like you know the one thing that has shown up every single week so far this year is is been Cincinnati's defense, and they've played really stout. I don't know without any playmakers, and again, Olave very well might play. We keep talking about this. We have no idea what like we don't know what this concussion protocol looks like and what it's going to take to clear and get to play and all that but I mean at the very least looks like they're gonna be without two of the three wide receivers could be without all three and I just don't know how the Saints score the ball in this thing but uh, Adam you're exactly right I mean they are doing to Joe Burrow this year exactly what they did at the beginning of the year well no they did it all year to Patrick Mahomes it's just Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes figured it out last year how to beat it can Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor figure out how to beat it you're right that is the uh, that's the real bugaboo in all of this Stephen what are you looking at in this game No bet for me in this one, but to drive your point home, Joe Burrow was number one in completion percentage over expectation last year. He's currently 18th. He's struggling with these two deep zones and being patient to put together long drives. On top of that, you mentioned the Saints wide receiver injuries. T. Higgins with that ankle is now back-to-back DMP as well. And with him not on the field, it's allowing defenses to provide more help on Jamar Chase. Let's not forget that Joe Burrow has targeted T. Higgins just as much as he has targeted Jamar Chase, even though Chase is the one that gets all the headlines and the and the accolades. So um, they started to get some chunk plays versus the run against Baltimore. If you watch that game last week, but New Orleans is number one in the league in, in rush EPA. So tough, tough matchup for this Bengals offense as much as I really want to try and keep the faith with them. Like this is not an easy matchup going to New Orleans here, despite the Saints not having their wide receivers. And um, if Olave plays slam dunk teaser for me with Adam, um, Eli Hershkovich on the behind on the beat, the closing line podcast, and also in his column likes the Saints this week to cover. Um, He's 
He's nervous about the Bengals rush defense. He thinks the numbers are better than what they actually are, considering they haven't played a lot of good rushing offenses and evidenced by one of the bottom 10 rushing defenses last week against the Ravens. And new Orleans is even better statistically running the ball than the Ravens are with Lamar Jackson. So um, I think a lot of concerns here to just automatically bet the Bengals uh, to cover this on the road. This will be interesting. I, um, I I just have a different view of the offensive standpoint from the Saints, basically more than anything else, right? I just don't know how they. I don't know how they score the ball. I mean, look, yeah, they look fine last week against the worst defense that maybe we've ever seen fielded on a on an NFL team in the Seahawks. So, a uh, different animal coming to town this week. Ravens and the Giants right now, five and a half to six in favor of the Ravens on the road at the Giants. We are sitting 45, 45 and a half. Adam, I'll start with you since it is your team, the New York football Giants. And listen, you and I on Sundays, we'll text back and forth a little bit here and there. And it's, I'll tell you this, we were very excited about Brian Dayball. And I can't, I, I can't say for sure. It's a five game sample size that he is the reason for the turnaround here, that he is the sole reason. Listen, you do have a healthy Saquon Barkley that is playing a role here. All you running backs don't matter, people out there. I think that is true for 95% of running backs on the face of the planet. Saquon Barkley's different, and when he's at 100%, he is he is completely different and definitely is a game changer. And so uh, that being said, I, I don't have this in the account. I didn't think it was going to get to six, but now that the sixes are starting to show up here in favor of the Ravens, it's gotten to that key number where I might come back in on the Giants. And I understand we're worried about the wide receiver situation for the Giants. I was worried about the wide receiver situation for the Giants last week whenever they were able to get it done and and score the upset. And then I was worried about Daniel Jones' ankle last week as well when he ran 10 times. He had 10 damn rushing attempts in the game. So I don't know what I'm worried about, you know, so I, I, I'm not NFL players get the best drugs, man. Yeah. Don't never forget NFL players get the best drugs. I'm not in love with this Ravens offense by any stretch. And so, I mean, you're going to give me a semi key number of six and I think it's pretty tempting in the time you've known me, Matt, have you ever gotten a text from me celebrating a giants win (laughs) (laughs) until this past Sunday? Yeah, because I'm watching this game and as soon as they get down 10 at halftime, I'm thinking, all right, you know what? They gave it a good first half. Like, I'm just happy to see progress out of my team. I'm just happy to see the Giants moving in the right direction. And then all of a sudden things start to happen where they're creeping back into this game. And then it gets to 2020 and the ball is getting punted back to them. And guys, I swear to you on a stack of Bibles, I said to myself, self, they're going to win this effing game. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't remember the last time I felt that way about a Giants team. And let's talk from a numbers perspective. You mentioned the 10 rushes for Daniel Jones. He has the option to do so, right? Brian Dable is scheming some things in that give the Giants more chances to win. And that's all I've been asking as a Giants fan. Do some things that give your team advantages. Daniel Jones might not be a great quarterback, might even be not be a good quarterback, but Brian Dable's putting him in the right spots. He was without his top four receivers last week against the Packers, and they won the game. So when you talk about running backs don't matter, okay, so you get into the red zone and you need a touchdown. Well, if you give Saquon Barkley a wildcat option, 
where he's going to be able to go literally anywhere in the offense as opposed to turn around, hand the ball off three yards in a cloud of dust up the middle. Yeah, it does start to matter because you're getting your best player in space. So those are the sorts of things that Brian Dable is doing to help. Now, when it comes to this week against the Baltimore Ravens, I'm going to pass on this game. Uh, Baltimore is second in weighted DVOA. They are second in offensive DVOA for some reason. As elite as Baltimore has been by all the metrics, things have not played out the way that they should for them. They've blown the two, three score leads, et cetera, et cetera. I think at some point you start to see Baltimore as the team that we expect them to be, or at least that I expect them to be. And I don't want to get in a spot against the Giants team that I love that they're four and one. I love that they're playing better. It's still a little sketchy to me. They're still way down in DVOA, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to lay uh, I'm not going to take those points against what I think is an elite team in Baltimore and find out that this is the week that it comes back to earth a little bit. So, hey, I hope you're right, Matt. I hope the Giants make this a competitive fun game. So doesn't look like Rondell. I mean, it does not look like uh, that we're going to have to worry about Leonard Williams being out this week either. He looks like he's trending in the right direction. You look at this. That guy is a difference maker on the defensive line for the New York football giants as well. Now, the problem is, is we keep waiting. When the hell are, when's it, when the hell are they going to get a wide receiver back out there? Well, Wandell Robinson is at least practicing limited. You know, Kadarius Tony didn't go, but at least he is practicing limited. So maybe he could get back out there. Steven, this is a fairly interesting game because it is kind of, what are you, what do we believe about what we've seen from both of these teams, right? I mean, like what is real and what's fake with the Giants and the, and the Ravens? It's not as extreme as the the rushing offenses and the Browns-Patriots game versus those rushing defenses, but it certainly seems like both rushing offenses have a, an advantage statistically in this mm-hmm. game versus the opposing defense. Uh, but, I mean, Brian Dable is God as far as I'm concerned. Like, Mm -hmm. I love this guy as a coordinator in Buffalo. I thought he was amazing. I thought he was the number one head coach candidate coming into this year, and we thought it was all lining up with the easiest schedule in the league by opponent win total. This guy is incredible. Lamar Jackson is eighth in the league in completion percentage over expectation. Daniel Jones is seventh throwing to Darius Slayton fresh out of the witness protection program, Mm -hmm. man. Like, he's got nobody to throw to, and he's got a better CPOE than Lamar. So no bet for me in this one. I think this number is getting a little too high. Um, I do want to ask Adam, like sometimes we ask him real news, fake news on, on trends type stuff. And most of these trends are absolute garbage. But I'm curious what you think of this one with teams coming back from London the week before and opting not to take the bye week. I think it's at least five, maybe a few more that we've seen that do this now. And their opponent the next week, like, is going over the win total like crazy. I'm sorry, not over the win total, going over their team total like crazy. So the defensive struggle coming back from London the next week. Real news or fake news? Um, I'm going to call it no news. I'm going to go right in between because I think what we've seen is that if you're going to take a trend with something like London, you have to understand the teams have gotten better about how they do this trip. And you just have to go back to last week to see. And it used to be the Jags that went every year and they were, they were absolute <laughs> garbage. No, seriously, though. And they were absolute right, garbage, right. right? I mean, like, like but, I mean, but, so, those, but those Jags teams took a bye the following yeah, week. I mean, so we've, there's been more teams going and there's been more London games and there's been teams not taking a bye after the London game. This is a knife and Stephen brought up a trend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, let me just, like, just stab myself with this. 
Sorry, was it, continue, sorry, Adam. Just, was it a bagel for breakfast? Why do you have a knife right there? That that, that seems that seems really convenient that you just had a knife ready to go for the podcast. But okay, um, yeah. Uh, look at last week, right? New Orleans didn't suffer coming back off the bye. Minnesota won, even though they didn't cover. Uh, coming back off the bye, I, I think teams have gotten smarter about this. And yes, as Matt said, if you're not sending the Jaguars, then you are giving yourself uh, a much better chance to see the team perform better coming back. I agree. And my conclusion after hearing all that is Dable is God and I'm not laying yeah. six points on the road against Dable. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm I, it'll be a, Giants will be a contest play for me for sure. I don't know if it'll be a uh, I don't know if it'll be a real bet or not when it's all said and done. Bucks at the Steelers, eight and a half in favor of the Bucks. 45 and a half is your total. Guys, here's my handicap. I played the Bucks in a teaser because if they can't beat the Steelers by a field goal, then I'm going to quit betting, basically. I mean, like, are you serious? <laughs> like, teaser, if I can't cover this friggin' teaser leg. Seriously, man. Th- this Seriously. was the one I was talking about that I paired up with Jacksonville. Look, this Steelers team is god-awful. They're meant to be god-awful this year. Now that they've made the switch to Kenny Pickett, they know exactly what's going on. They know exactly what they got in making the switch here, and it is a losing season upcoming, and maybe they can increase this team's, you know, uh, some draft capital by moving Chase Claypool or whatever it is in the offseason or maybe before this season's over with and and trying to actually build around Kenny Pickett if that's what you're going to do. But, look, this team's bad. They're bad. We used to think, you know, we had this thought in our minds of the Steelers' defense and uh, the Steelers' defense is so tough. No, this defense is middle of the road. It's definitely not that tough at all. And Tom Brady and the Bucks are getting healthier. So, for me, pretty simple deal. If they can't win by a field goal, then, you know, F me. What do you say, Steven? Yep. I'm, I'm never betting teasers again if, if yeah. the Bucks lose this game. As <laughs> simple as that. And on top of that, the injuries got even worse for Pittsburgh. They had injuries to Ogunjobi and a couple of their corners and that blowout loss to Buffalo. So, um, yeah, if, if, if the Bucks can't win this game, then I don't, I just quit, man. I'm with you on that. I can go in, I can go into a long spiel about the metrics of the Bucks offense against the metrics of the Pittsburgh defense. Just know that the Bucks are really good and the Pittsburgh's really friggin' bad and they got a rookie quarterback and they can't block in the running game. That's that's enough said. Yes. Adam, Bucks, good pass defense. You look at the Steelers, bad pass offense. They can't run the ball. Like, what am I? I mean, like, how how does how do the how do the Bucks not how do the Bucks not win this thing by a field goal? I might hate myself by the time we get to Sunday afternoon, but I can't do it. Ooh, I can't okay. do it with Tampa. Oh, man. Um, I, and I'm, you, now I'm scared. Now, guys, I've bet, I was the guy who bet Tampa each of the first three weeks. And even with their improving health situation, something's not right. And, and I can't figure out exactly what it is, but something just isn't right. And, Last week, if Tom Brady isn't Tom Brady and doesn't have the referees out there protecting him, they lose that game. Not don't cover. They lose outright to Atlanta. Atlanta was going to go and score. Atlanta had that game in pocket in the second half. And that's what worries me. Why aren't the Bucs, when, even when they have a chance to put a team away, putting a team away? And so that's what worries me right now. Uh, Look, should they win this game by a field goal? Yes, I make this game Tampa eight. Of course, they should win this game by a field goal. But why are things not going 
Tampa's way right now. Something doesn't feel right. And I know that numbers and feel don't really get along very well together, but they are enough for me to say, hey, if something doesn't feel right, I'm not betting it. And so I'll pass. Hey, they got to book all the games. We don't got to bet them all. So I, I, I completely understand uh, I got that. Got it ready, the, guys. Though that's it's not going to end well. The, the, it's not going to end well. <laughs> the Steven, mask is on. Though Stephen does uh, want to try to bet the board every week, we do not. Uh, we don't, in fact, have to do that. <laughs> You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books, all in one place. Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Carolina Panthers at the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Guys, this is 10 in favor of the Rams, 41 and a half total. Yes, I mean, it's a... You could take 10 with a team with a team in a 41 and a half total. I, I mean, and at the same time, I can't do it. Adam, in years past, people would say, you bet the team that fired the coach and, you know, whatever, and they're going to rally around, you know. Yeah, but, you know, now this team is traveling all the way across country. And now this team's traveling away all, all the way across country to start P.J. Walker at quarterback. I mean, like, there's just so much here, like, this was the first game I scratched off. I have absolutely no opinion. I know traditional thinking is you should take the points. If you're getting double digits at a 41 and a half total, I know that's traditional thinking. I can't get there. I have the Panthers 31st in my power rating. So like they're literally the second worst team in the entire NFL. I know the Rams haven't done anything to inspire hope from us, but uh, just a complete, complete utter stay away for me in this thing. I have to do that, too. Unfortunately, I would just love the opportunity to get 10 points against the Carol against the Los Angeles Rams right now, yeah. because I can't move them all the way down. But man, do I want to move the Rams farther down in my power ratings than mm. I have Matthew Stafford by PFF right now is a bottom five quarterback in the NFL. And that's partially because of the line. We know that. But he also just has not looked good. He has no one to throw to other than Cooper Cup. Uh, On the other side, P.J. Walker is someone who could not beat out either Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield to be even the number two quarterback for this team in camp. So pass, pass, pass. Steven, I can't I can't I can't believe this. I'm looking at your bets you have in for the week. You didn't bet this game. Thank God. All right. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> a little, little clap here. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't bet this one, uh, but do, 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 give, do give us your quick thoughts though. I'm learning guys. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. Uh, did you see Matt who Eli's guest was on the Thursday edition of, of beat the closing line this week? I did not. Our, our fearless former co-host, Brad Allen. Okay. Who does right. like the Carolina Panthers this week. So if you want a reason to go bet the Panthers, you can go listen to that show. I'm out. No, thank you. Yeah. Don't like Mo Noir described PJ Walker as a player. It shouldn't even be in the NFL. And I am looking for ways to buy low on the Rams because I think the O-line got exposed by three of the elite pass rushes in the NFL. But laying 10 points <laughs> is like the 
is never buying yeah. low. That is not yeah. buying low on the Rams. So we're going to have to you. wait another week. I'm with you. I'm with you. Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. This is a fairly interesting game from a standpoint that I have heard a lot of smart people on both sides of this game. So Cardinals sitting two, two and a half, 50 and a half is your total. Uh, Steven, look, uh, some people are saying you could tease the Seahawks. I don't know in a game with a 50 and a half total, if that's something I'm really looking to do. Um, and I also think there's a pretty high variance factor in this game. So I don't like to tease those type of games where I think there's a, a really high, you know, variance that's going on. Uh, you actually do have a bet in your account though. You did get the full three on the Seahawks. I did. Yeah, that that's gone. In fact, we're moving closer off of the two and a half towards two for Seattle after some early week money with lower limits on Arizona. This is the time of the week where the, the opinions that get bet matter more than the beginning of the week with higher limits. So it appears that there's more sharp money on Seattle in this game. This is the other team that I also paired in a money line underdog parlay with Jacksonville here. In fact, I took alt spreads minus two and a half on both of them to get a plus 500 parlay on Seattle and Jacksonville. Uh, one of our new writers, Jeffrey Shriver, notes it pretty well in, in his mismatch column this week on the lines.com. Seattle, believe it or not, has the number one passing offense DVOA. They have the number one passing offense by PFF. They are top five in offensive EPA, yards per play, yards per pass, third down offense. Arizona is the worst defense in the NFL by pro football focus. They are bottom 10 in defense EPA. This is not the week where Geno Smith comes back to earth and and starts playing like the quarterback we saw against the San Francisco 49ers. And I think we've seen enough weeks now with Geno Smith, who, by the way, is top five among quarterbacks in EPA and success rate, number one still in completion percentage over expectation. I think we've seen more games than not where he is functional and credit to Pete Garrell for letting Geno cook more than he ever did Russell Wilson. It's 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 working. Their defense is absolute garbage. They can't stop anybody, but they can score points. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I trust Geno Smith with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf at this point more than I trust Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury and with what they're trotting out there. So, whew. I don't know, man. This I think this Arizona defense is or this Arizona offense is not very good. I think their defense is just as bad as Seattle's. And like this this team is laughable, man. I mean, they're in a in a field goal game last week with a chance to beat one of the best teams in the NFL, but they're too stupid to go actually find a good kicker and decide to sign Matt Amendola, who's missed a fair share of kicks with both the Chiefs this year and when he was with the Jets, like they just keep making dumb decision after dumb decision, not only on the game, but also with the roster. I don't want any part of this Arizona team. And I'm actually adjusting my previous preseason opinions on Seattle to think this is a very good, competent offense against other below average teams in the NFL. I uh, I think they'll be all right against bad defenses. I don't think they're going to be great against competent defenses. The question is, is do we think that Arizona is a competent defense? I can't really get there 
on that. I have a lean actually on the other side. Uh, I, Adam, I think you and I are simpatico on this where I actually have a lean more towards the Arizona side here. I mean, listen, Seattle's going to beat up on Seattle's going to beat up on bad, you know, on bad teams. They're not going to beat up on competent teams. I don't know if we know whether Arizona's a competent team or not. So that's kind of why I haven't pulled the trigger yet on this thing. But I and and it's not credit Pete Carroll, by the way. It's credit Seattle's defense because Seattle's defense <laughs> is so bad that he's not allowed to run the ball all the time. He has to play this ver- this this style of offense if he has any chance whatsoever of winning games. Because if you play the way he really wants to play and you limit possessions and you take some of the variance out of the game, they're never going to win. They have to play these shootout games. They have to play high variance games because that's the only way they're ever going to come out on top whenever they're fielding this defensive unit that they're putting out there. So look, it is the worst Adam as you uh, you know, we all look at the same stuff. It is the it is a bottom 5 in nearly every single statistical category you can look at from every single outlet out there. And so you know, for me it's a big step up also in competition. Now, I don't care what you people think the their of their long-term view of Kyler Murray and if you want to tell me that you think Kyler Murray isn't as good as people think or isn't you know the didn't deserve the money he got whatever I don't really care I'm not really going to argue with that but let's let's go the last three games here for Seattle I mean they played Andy Dalton Marcus Mariota and and Jared Goff right and I mean in week one they got Russell Wilson in whatever version of Russell Wilson that he's actually in right now and then in week two by the way that was the you know Lance gets hurt and then um and then Jimmy Garoppolo comes in game so I mean like this this team is one of the worst defenses we've ever seen going up against that slate of quarterbacks and if you don't think Kyler Murray is a step up whether again no matter what your long-term view is of him I think you're you're sort of mistaken so that's kind of why I actually do lean towards the Cardinals here in the last four weeks, the Arizona Cardinals are three and one against the spread. And in the game they did not cover, they were live to cover till about five minutes left against the Los Angeles Rams. I know the Cardinals look bad to everyone because Cliff Kingsbury helps to make them look bad with horrible decisions, which is why I'm only a lean on Arizona right now versus playing Arizona. Um, I think the Arizona Cardinals could be better. And if you want to say this game has variance, Matt, variance's name is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray yes. is the variance. Kyler Murray could go out there and go nuclear at any given time. And that Seahawks defense could be exactly how he goes nuclear at any given time. And so I don't know that I agree with Steven in the fact that Arizona's defense is as bad as Seattle's. I think they're bad. I don't think they're as bad as Seattle. I won't play a teaser for exactly what you just said, Matt. This does not fit the teaser formula for me because of mm-hmm. the total in this game and respect the market, right? This game open 47 has been bet up to 51. So that's just how bad everybody thinks these defenses both are. And the one thing I'd say about that passing offense, I'm not going to drag Geno Smith. I am going to say that Tyler Lockett popped up on the injury report with a soft tissue injury here late in the week. And so I don't know that they have a lot of room to take weapons out of this offense and still be as good as they've looked so far. So I'm lean Arizona haven't played it yet. And thank you, Cliff Kingsbury for at least making me pause. (laughs) 
Matt, yeah. along those lines, if you do want to back Arizona, I wonder if waiting for like the second quarter might be the way for you guys to do it to get an even better number because Arizona, and this kind of fits with the Cliff Kingsbury isn't sharp narrative. The Arizona offense is dead last in first quarter EPA and 31st in first quarter success rate. Yeah. The the cure for that is the Seattle Seahawks defense. So I don't I'm not going to be waiting on, on on anything. If I'm going to play it, I'm going to play it under the field goal, and we're going to get it going. <laughs> Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. The game everybody's going to watch this week. The game everyone's going to be talking about. It is in a small afternoon window, so fortunate for all of us right now. But Bills are two and a half point road favorites over the Chiefs. Fifty four is your total. So Adam. I think you and I are on, uh, no, okay, so it's me and Steven that are on different sides here. I uh, I bet the Bills, as soon as this thing hit at two before the Chiefs played on Monday night, um, it didn't really adjust all that much, a half point, so I didn't like really beat any sort of anything, but I have the Bills at two. This, to me, is a pretty straightforward handicap in which, yes, these are two of the two of the you know, three, five best teams in all the NFL. But for me, the Bills offense has marched up and down the field all season long. They have not been, had any sort of resistance, hot knife through butter all season long. We have seen the Chiefs offense sputter at times. Now, have they figured out ways to right the ship? Have they figured out ways to get it done? Last week in particular would be another reason to say that. Yes, Bills defense is a different animal. The Bills scheme is a different scheme. This is a very, very, very good team top to bottom all around here. I don't, the reason I'm going Bills in this is pretty simple. This Bills offense most likely is not going to get stopped very often. And I cannot say the same thing for the Chiefs. I think that there is a path to this game going under this 54 total that it has ballooned up to because I think there's a path for the Bills offense and Bills defense to actually give this Chiefs de- uh, offense a lot of a lot of trouble in this thing. And so uh, I think the Bills are the better team. I think the Bills are the better team even on the road. I um I, I'm not I'm not upset that I didn't really beat the the line here, beat the number or anything. I'm I'm happy with my Bills minus two. What say you? Again, this is another game for me where just because your numbers say it don't, doesn't mean you have to bet it. Mm-hmm. I make this game a pick. So when I see that there are two and a half points available to me on the board, I say, well, mm-hmm. maybe Kansas City. And if you believe that the game is going to go under, then you would at least entertain the idea of the mm-hmm. teaser, although it's the same as the last game we just talked about. The numbers are far too high to get involved in that. Have the efficiency metrics always led to points for Buffalo this year. That's part of what worries me uh, in this game because you look at a game like Baltimore, a defense that got carved up left and right, and you see a Buffalo team that struggled to get to 23 points. So could Kansas City conceivably play a similar game against Buffalo where Josh Allen marches up and down the field and yet it doesn't lead to points? Yes, On the other side of this, you and I were watching a lot of that Monday night football game last week Mm -hmm. with the Kansas City Chiefs, and they were legitimately behind 17 points. That was not a lot of Mm -hmm. fluke action that led to them being behind. They were legitimately down 17. They need a lot of help from Josh McDaniels to get back into that game. So I'm going to pass. My numbers would say Kansas City, but I respect Buffalo enough, and I respect the handicap you're talking about there enough to stay off it. Steven, you're on the other side of me here. What gives you uh, what gives you Kansas City in the account? 
that Patrick, I got Chiefs plus three at minus one twenty. I pulled the trigger on it. Really, not much more into this than I'm getting Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at home at a key number and the key, the most key number of all. Uh, we can get into numbers all we want. These two offenses are elite and in their own tier. Um, I think if you look at drop back EPA, the gap between the Chiefs, who are number two, and the number three team, the Eagles, is the same as the gap between the number three team and the number 18 team, the Green Bay Packers. And the Bills are even higher than the Chiefs. So, like, these two quarterbacks are in their own tier. It's going to be amazing offensive football. It should be, again, this one. Uh, I do share the red zone concerns. The Chiefs are third in the NFL in red zone touchdown conversion. The Bills are only 20th, converting only 56% of their red zone trips into touchdowns. So that in a game like this, that could hurt them. We'll see. Uh, But we also know that red zone offense is pretty volatile and can flip in any given week. So, um, yeah, not much more for me to handicap Mm -hmm. here other than just just taking what I think is the best quarterback and head coach combination in the NFL and, and, and getting them as an underdog at three at, at a juiced minus one twenty. I'll tell you this though: must watch television. Like as ex- oh, as excited, wait. yes, as excited for a game that I've been in quite a long time in the regular season. And let's wrap things up here, guys. With Sunday night football, we have the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are six and a half point dogs on the road at the Eagles. 42, 42 and a half is your total. I so I'm on the opposite side of YouTube, but in a different way, because when this thing dipped to four and a half, I played the Eagles because I'm like, this is this this has moved too much. This is way too big of an overreaction here to what we've seen from the Cowboys of late. Now we get positive news on the offensive line from the Eagles. And this thing goes through this key ish number of six to six and a half to which you guys pulled the trigger at six and a half. So we actually have. In my opinion, even though we're on different sides, we kind of have two different bets in our account here, right? It, like the four and a half and then the six and a half are, are are different bets in a way. So, Adam, give me your give me your reasoning for the Cowboys. Here. So, Matt, you talked earlier about tracking your bets and the value of seeing what's mm-hmm. worked and what hasn't. So I looked at my last five weeks and I sat down, especially and looked at week four and week five, and I saw lean Dallas minus three against Washington. Didn't play it, covered. I saw lean Dallas plus five and a half against Rams. Didn't play it. They cover. Now, I'm not about to tell you that the Philadelphia Eagles are the same animal as the Rams or the Washington Commanders. However, I look at my numbers. I see Philly minus three and a half. I see Dallas getting six and a half. And I say to myself, I should be in on this this week. And that's someone me, who is way off market on Dallas. I don't like Dallas. I don't believe that this is really a a great team. I cannot fundamentally, I cannot fundamentally base my handicap of a team on its defense because defense varies too much and the offense hasn't been great. That being said, who has Philadelphia blown off the field other than the Vikings, right? The, The Eagles are a team that once they get out to a big lead, They shut the game down. This is a team that plays top five situation neutral pace all throughout the game. But when they have a lead in the second half, second half pace, they are in the bottom three of the league. 
They will let teams hang around in a game. And I think Dallas is the kind of team that has shown you it absolutely has the ability to hang around, especially now that they found a little bit of rhythm with this rushing offense. So look, I respect Philadelphia. I have moved Philadelphia up in my power ratings every single week. I admit the fact that I was too low on Philly to start the year. And even despite the fact that I have Philly in the top five and I'm lower on the market than Dallas, I still think this number is too big. So I haven't pulled the trigger uh, to go back to what you said a moment ago. I'm a hard lean on Dallas plus six and a half, and I probably will end up there because Dallas being Dallas in an island game, you're probably going to have to get that six and a half before you get to Sunday night. It'll probably get taken. I'm glad you brought up because Stephen and I on opposite sides of this, we kind of debated it a little bit, uh, you know, just typing back and forth. But I mean, more than anything, to me, this is it's a one it's a one dimensional football team in that at one dimension is the defense. And now you're bringing in one of the most efficient offenses and one of the most dynamic offenses that they've seen all year. You know what you didn't get in you, what you didn't get in any of their opponents so far is the full breadth of a quarterback that is mobile, a quarterback that has been accurate and weapons on the outside as far as wide receivers as well. You could you could look their loss in week one where they got just, you know, comprehensively destroyed by the Bucks. Then Cincinnati, they only win by three in that one in which, again, we know offensive line is just absolutely atrocious in that. We know that's not the case for Philadelphia. A win against the Giants, the Commanders, and Rams. This is just a massive step up in competition for this Dallas team, whose offense, by the way, has been garbage. Like you can, It doesn't really matter what people want to say about these wins and stuff. These wins have been defensively generated and have had, had absolutely nothing to do with the offense whatsoever. And this offense is going to continue to struggle against an elite Philadelphia defense. And this is such a massive step up in competition on the defensive side for Dallas going up against the Eagles offense. I think people are really underrating how big a step up this is. That is now Steven's chance to come in and try and say that he, uh, he likes the Dallas Cowboys in this. I did, but Matt, I like how you started the show saying we're a fully transparent show and I'm going to come right now and say that I bet this early in the week. I liked it at four and a half and that's when I thought the Eagles offensive line was going to be banged up. It's clearly not going to be banged up. Their starters look like they're going to play in this game. And the market moved heavily against my opinion. And there are a lot of sports betting shows that will still dig their heels in and say Mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't care. My opinion's right. The people that are shelling out max bets later in the week to move a number two points in the NFL, their opinions matter a lot more than mine. And I was wrong about that Dallas line earlier in the week at plus four and a half. And we're at six and a half now. And that's a different conversation. But I just want to say I was wrong about that bet earlier in the week in my handicap of it. And, and, and I just want to bring something up and talk and talking about the two point move. The only part of that move that really gets my attention is six to six and a half, because now we yep. clear the six, right? The, the four and a half, five, five and a half. Th- those are dead number moves. It doesn't really yeah, it doesn't really worry me as much. But yeah, I it does get my attention when it clears six and a half, six. Now, now, Matt, with that being said, I do have I do still have some concerns, but I just want to preface that mm-hmm. first, that clearly the market has a very different opinion of, of what I had. Now, my concerns here are that. Jalen Hurts has the number seven pass block win rate offensive line, but he's had the third most pressured throws in the NFL. 
So he has been holding the ball a bit too long. And he also is when pressured 33% completion percentage under pressure, which is only 24th among quarterbacks. And he is facing a Dallas defense that is number one in pass rush win rate. Uh, They are top five in EPA and success rate overall as a defense top 10 against the pass and those metrics top three against the run. But Micah Parsons is banged up. We made that bet mm-hmm. last week against the Rams, not knowing that he was only going to play limited snaps. He's got a groin issue. We're not sure how, how effect, he did have a couple of sacks, so he's able to play through it. But that offensive line of the Rams is in a completely like the Eagles are in a different stratosphere when it comes to their offensive line with what the Rams have. So um, but I, I, I see what mm-hmm. Adam sees that they, they kind of turn off the gas in the second half. This Eagles offense, 23rd and second half EPA, 27th and drop back EPA, 26th and success rate. Uh, but at this point, I'm really nervous about making a bet where I feel like the back door is more likely than than having the right side here. Guys, as always, everything we do, absolutely free. So please, please, please subscribe, rate, review, do all the stuff. Let us know in the comments section how you are going to be playing the games. We'll be back for our Monday night breakdown as well in a solo video. Really do appreciate you guys. If you want to follow Adam at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y. Steven at Steven Anderson. You want to follow me at Matt Brown M2. Good luck on all your bets here in week six.